Welcome back to another episode of the Rec Center, a special Tuesday episode, a bit of a long weekend. I think we've recovered and are ready to talk about a little TV. Um, I know we both watched part two of the Tiger Doc, so we'll get into that. Some other good shows, honestly, for me, some other not good shows. Oh, you got negative. I got negative, too. I got real negative on one. Can I ask you, did you, what, what streaming service was your real negative on? Netflix. Okay. Oh, I wonder if it's, so I'm, okay, we'll get into it. Um, my really negative is on HBO Max, and it was terrible. So, HBO Max, that was not terrible. Tiger. Part two of the documentary. I really enjoyed it. Um, I just like the ultimate rise and fall story. And I think in that, in that part two, you really got the good and then the bad and then, you know, maybe the rise again. So what did you think of the second part of the doc? I thought it was excellent. I think one of your criticisms was part one is we didn't learn a whole lot. We knew he was very good. We knew that Earl Woods was overbearing. Uh, We knew that Tiger had a really tough transition from being, you know, from going, going from the golf prodigy to being the golf superstar uh, and being one of the biggest celebrities in the world that we all knew that we didn't know the details of all of his affairs in, uh, in the second installment of the documentary. I, I I don't want to cut you off. I don't want to make one of the points that you are going to make, but here I go. The most, the shocking part of it to me was all of the women coming out because they were pissed at Tiger because they felt like they were the only mistress. Mm-hmm. There was like four or five women who really thought that they were the only mistress because that's how, that, that's how he would make them feel. Uh, which is super screwed up. It's that's a wild deal for them to come out or for him to to treat them that way. It's all messed up. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think it's I don't think it's screwed up for them to come out because that's like clearly embarrassing for them and you know they're super vulnerable. But for him to make them feel that way is ugh. like that's neck that's next level narcissism. So I knew that it, it's interesting because when everything happened at least some of these women spoke out. And I think they ended up saying there were like 15-ish, but I thought there were up to 30. Um, I knew certain stories. Like I knew about the Perkins waitress and I believe- Everyone knew the Perkins waitress was the most- Well, wasn't there salacious. a voice? I believe there's a voicemail that he left her that became public eventually. And so I had heard that, but I didn't know that the National Enquirer had followed them and had photos of them. Years earlier. Yeah, I mean, I I had not heard that before. So for for everything I knew when I already felt like I did know a lot about it, there was still new information for me. So that was definitely interesting. Um, you're hearing, yeah. and I I had heard some of the women. I think at that point say, like back in 2009, say that it was a relationship. It wasn't just like meeting in Vegas for a quickie. Like it was these weekends away, or it's like they actually spent time with him. Um, which you just even then, it's like, how did you have the time? to do that like obviously he was injured for some of it but to be the best golfer in the world to have a family and then to keep these people like on the back burner it just I don't know it seems exhausting but I definitely learned a lot it was interesting um I I actually was really excited they started with the Wright Thompson stuff um he did that piece on like 
Tiger basically wanting to become a Navy SEAL. Um, so he had written that for ESPN a few years back. And I like that they incorporated that because that is like, aside from all the affairs and things, that's such an interesting part of Tiger's psyche to me that the greatest golfer in the world and, and all these things, like he decided he wanted to like try to become a Navy SEAL. And the Navy SEALs were like, yeah, this guy wasn't, you know, he would was able to keep up with us, but not really. Like he was kind of play acting this weird military thing. And I just think that it was his obsession with it was bizarre almost as bizarre as like all these other wrinkles in his life. Like it's just such a strange thing to me. So I was really glad they incorporated all of that as well. Yeah, no, I loved it. I, I do think fortunately for tiger, he won the masters a couple of years ago because <laughs> it would, I don't know how they would have ended it. Uh, but you know, fortunately for him, him walking off with Charlie, I believe is the the name of his son. And, you know, they're hugging and high-fiving and it ends with our tiger's arms going up in the air. Like he came back in a big way and it really is. Um, I do think so. Remember when the DY hit in 2017, I believe it was summer 2017. I don't remember the month, but yeah, I mean, obviously no, I remember. it must've been late spring, early summer, because it was definitely after the masters that he withdrew from in 2017, the one, and then he won two years later. Anyway, mm-hmm. I remember the next morning hearing the tiger was in a DY and seeing the mugshot and being like, Oh my God. How terrible. And then you found out that there was no alcohol involved. And I don't know what it says about us as a society, but we all kind of forgave him a little bit knowing that there wasn't alcohol involved, but he was on like five different kinds of pain pills, Yeah, which is not forgivable. Uh, You shouldn't be operating that kind of machinery. And it it had been a long time since I had seen the the dashboard cam of his DUI arrest, which is hilarious. Uh, at the time, it was really sad because it was like, oh, my God, this guy's throwing his life away. Forget about his career, his life away. And but now knowing what I know, knowing that he you know, has made this comeback, it's really funny. I would argue it's still <laughs> so sad. He just he is so out of it. And imagine being this cop who, you know, you're pulling over because you see a car who's pulled over sort of in the road though with his blinker on and so this cop's like let me see what's going on here and then it's tiger woods but it's like a shell of tiger woods like tiger woods does not know where he is who he is what's going on and the cop says i want you to like close your eyes and um say the alphabet but don't sing it do you understand what i just said and tiger goes you told me not to sing the national anthem backwards like that was a funny part because like no, that like, and then at that point, the cop was like, I'm getting me to arrest you, which, mm-hmm. okay, it's so sad, but the national anthem thing was like a little funny. Um, that's it's it's laugh out loud hilarious. Yeah. I it's mean, not, I don't think you've, you're, you're not evil for thinking that's funny because it is. No, I just th- to see like when they bring him closer to the dashboard cam and just to see how out of it he was, or even when he's in the police station and it, it's like before his mugshot and you just see him in that room on video, like he is so incredibly out of it and it was because obviously like the pain pills is a result of some of the surgeries he was having um, but the ambien was obviously something in his life that just became kind of an issue and so mixing all of the things like that's what you get you get someone who's like no longer a functioning human and the fact that he decided to drive in that state was obviously not good but yeah I mean it was and that's the thing about part two it covered so many highs and lows because they started with like I don't know if you would say it's his greatest win, but his most dramatic, like the 2018, excuse me, 2008 U.S. Open. And then that was the U.S. Open, right? Yeah, Tori. Yes. And 
to go from that, then you do the 2009 scandal, and then it's like all the highs and lows of the next 10 years, you're just riding this roller coaster, which it's incredible how many highs and lows that he has had. Yeah, and because it, I, I, sorry to cut you off, I do think people forget that after the 2000, the late 2009, and he comes on and he does that awful press conference. Remember how cringy that press conference was? <laughs> but after that, a couple of years after that, I think it was 2013, he was crushing it again. He didn't win a major, but he was winning all these tournaments and he, he was back to number one. And then he had the devastating uh, back situation, that iconic shot of him swinging and falling to his knees. Uh, and he withdrew from a couple of tournaments. So yeah, that, and then and then it felt like he was gone, gone forever. Sorry, but you were saying. Do you relate to the back pain parts of his story? Unbelievably so. Just watching him walk around and like having to like lean on stuff, I it was making me cringe. With yeah, back pain memory. My last thought is basically just so we end on kind of the perfect happy ending of the Augusta win in 2019. But I actually think that. And they really couldn't have put this in the documentary because it's recent, but like seeing him play with his son a month or so ago, I don't remember what that was. That to me is kind of like a postscript of the story because not only did he have this big win and he finally won a major again and he got to 15, you know, he'd been stuck on 14 for 10 years um, or 11 years. And to see him now, like, I, I think the world has kind of accepted him in a different way. Like people were so happy for him when he won at Augusta and then there's just this extra, like people see him as like a dad again and no, you know, I'm sure there's still people that judge him and still people that only view him through the lens of like what happened. Um, but it's, I don't know, just like he seems to have a little bit more peace, like past getting that major. And and I would have been interested if they could add on a little bit of where he's at, like today, today, but, but I think no. ending on ending on that master's win was obviously like Perfect because it is this perfect like high pitch moment. So he won the Super Bowl. It's winning the Super Bowl. Yeah. All right. Um, any other thoughts? Obviously, we strongly recommend it's like probably a little over three hours total and definitely worth your time. Oh, yeah, it's great. I mean, watching it, you you just think like, what did he think was gonna happen? Like he couldn't <laughs> he couldn't keep this double, triple, and uh, yeah, at one point, I don't know who it is. But uh, one of the talking heads says Tiger was leading not a double life. He was leading like six or seven lives. The other thing I want to mention is when someone said um, Tiger asked Michael Jordan, what do you say to these women? Like when he was first going out in Vegas and was kind of this like awkward Stanford dorky golfer guy. And Tiger says to Michael Jordan, what do you say? And Michael Jordan says, just say you're Tiger Woods. Like, And then he obviously went very far into that persona. And we all know how that ended. So. He got confident with the ladies. That's for sure. Yeah. Or he, at least he figured out what to say. Yeah. Uh, all right. Great doc. Thank you, HBO, um, for that. Uh, what are your, is that one of your recs this week or do you no. have, okay. So what's your first rec then? My first rec, I'm going to start negative. I've given this thought. I'll start negative and then I'll end with two positives. Um, I don't know if it's still number one on Netflix, but it was when I watched it yesterday. Uh, Outside the Wire with Anthony Mackie. Is it a movie? Yeah, it's an action. I knew Anthony Mackie had something. Okay. It's an action movie. It starts out interesting. It's about this hotshot drone pilot who uh, disobeys direct orders and, you know, makes a shot that ends in a couple of American casualties. But 
like without a doubt saves a bunch of American lives. And that's kind of the theme of the whole movie is, you know, would you kill five people to save a million people kind of thing? Is that the trolley problem? The trolley dilemma? Isn't that called the trolley in philosophy? What is it? You're on a trolley and if you like divert the trolley, you kill everyone on the trolley, but you save all the lives on the ground. I don't know. There's a, there's a philosophical thing. Okay. So keep going. Sorry. So there was, there was that. And that's kind of like, Oh, okay. Like I can get down with this theme. And then they introduce Anthony Mackie because this kid is in trouble. Right. So they, he needs to like go learn under somebody. And Anthony Mackie is that person he's going to learn under. So it's training day. You're like, oh, it's training day, but in the military. I get it. And then you find out Anthony Mackie's a robot. You're like, okay. The way they're doing this is because it's like 15, 16 years in the future. And the way they do it is kind of cool. So the first 25 minutes of the movie, I'm like, oh, this is training day plus Terminator. I'm kind of in. The last hour of the movie is so bad and so full of tropes. Actually, I'm going to stop right there just in case you do want to watch it, because if you're the kind of person who is into outrageous violence, uh, Anthony Mackie kicks ass. There's a lot of limbs that break in ways they shouldn't be bending. And like I said, I think the first 45 minutes hour is decent. And then they just lean into the lamest tropes that you've seen in movies over and over again. Uh, where, you know, the good guy's not so good and maybe the bad guy isn't so bad and maybe we're all just living in the gray area kind of thing. Uh, yeah, it's a rough watch. I wouldn't recommend it at all. But again, if you're into, like, senseless violence, there's a new look. So it's like a sci-fi action Netflix movie. Yes. Okay. That's another thing. There's it's It tries to be too many things. And when you try to be too many things, oftentimes you're just nothing. You're not the sum of all those parts. You're less. I have not checked out the Netflix top 10 in a couple of days, but it's weird that like this, that promo, I knew Anthony Mackie was doing kind of the PR rounds. Like I had seen him in things, but I, I, this did not make its way to me in terms of promos. Like I'm always fascinated by Netflix, like what, what I become aware of and the fact that it's number one, I truly had not really heard anything of it. So I'm glad you watched it. The trolley problem. I'm going to read this just straight. Yeah, please. The Trolley Problem is a series of thought experiments in ethics and psychology involving stylized ethical dilemmas to, of whether to sacrifice one person to save a larger number. Yeah. So that's the theme. That's the first theme. And I could get behind it if that was like the only theme because it's like it comes up a couple of different times. But then it has like six or seven other th- themes. Like the biggest, the biggest artificial intelligence movie trope is what happens when the robots get smarter than us and they think they're protecting us by, you know, enslaving us pretty much or like, or killing a lot of us. It's, it's, I I wanted to vomit as to how (laughs) unoriginal it's, it was so promising. And then it just fell into all the old, all the old tropes. Okay. Any other thoughts? Uh, no, I wouldn't watch it. Okay. I don't know where I'm at with this one. I think I'm just don't watch it. But if you're really in the mood for true crime, Netflix has a new series called The Night Stalker. It is very graphic. 
they went remember when oj came out the oj doc for espn and they showed the crime scene photos Mm -hmm. and i think some people were like whoa didn't need that um because they were very graphic it's that times 20 they show crime scene photos for pretty much every so the night stalker is obviously a serial killer who um killed in california in the 80s and it's that ultimate like lock your doors like who could be next everyone should be scared like the scare everyone type thing no one is safe you just never know where this guy's going to show up because it was all over la i believe he also made his way north but primarily in my mind at least la and like this guy part of the thing that makes it such a tough watch there are so many crimes and there is just like one after another i mean he's a serial killer that's the point but like it just keeps going and there are more photos and like he gets, you know, kind of in like berserker mode where he's doing like multiple crimes in a night and they just hit you with like one after another and they don't really skimp on any of the details. Like they don't really, there's no montage where they kind of fly through these. Like they go pretty much into detail on everything. And so you're just sitting there and it's like, it it happened. It's interesting in some way, but like it's, it's almost just hard to consume all of it. So it's Netflix four part series i am through three and i woke up this morning and i was like do i want to watch the fourth one or do i want to watch the bachelor and i obviously chose the bachelor because oh you didn't like it huh not enough to watch the i will watch the fourth episode at some point so and i will say part of what's interesting is how they caught him which like i'm not fully there yet there's some seeds planted for how they are going to catch him and that to me that's one of the things that's interesting about true crime. Like I think back to an evil genius type or like don't fuck with cats. Like those really kind of cult classic Netflix ones. Um, It's interesting because not only like, Oh, the, you know, obviously evil genius, like the crime is insane, but how it unravels, how they catch this person, Um, the whodunit of it all. Like the night stalker is really just crime, 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 crime. And there's not a ton of like, we found this car and then we traced, we found a, a, you know, a a card for a dentist, a business card. And then we went went into that dentist. Like we're sort of getting a little bit of that at this point, but we just haven't gotten, it's really just been, he killed this person in Monrovia. Then he killed this person in diamond bar. And this is, and not only that, like this guy, he shot some people, he stabbed people, he strangled people. Like he did everything. And it was victims of all ages. Like it's horrible. And I don't know if people are going to like it. I know that there's there's definitely backlash with um, how graphic it is. That has already been much discussed. So if you are going to watch it, just like know you're going to be looking at crime scene photos of people who were shot in their bed and be prepared for that. I don't think the Netflix did a good job warning people um, that it was going to be that graphic. So I will watch the fourth episode at some point, but I just hesitate because it's like, it's a lot. Like, I think you just have to tell people it's a tough watch and they they lay it on thick and there's, there, it's just a lot. Tough look for our girl, uh, Diane Feinstein too, when she's the mayor of San Francisco. I don't really. Okay. So I fell asleep in the third episode last night. <laughs> okay. So you well, missed. Okay. No, 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 no. So, so I have to watch the end of the third and then the fourth. Um, what did she do? I don't, have we covered that part? Uh, well, one, I think what make what has this okay, so I agree with everything you said. Wait, hold on. Have you watched the whole thing? I have. 
Okay, okay. So you've you've seen all four. Okay. Uh-huh. But I'm not I won't get into the fourth episode. I agree with everything you said in terms like this one feels exceedingly violent. I also think in terms of uh the we're so flooded with true crime series now that every new installment feels like they have to top the last one. And I mean this one definitely does it in terms of the violence department and, and sharing crime, the details of the crimes with you. Uh, I also, what, what had this one stand out for me and making it one of the better ones I've seen in a while is them talking about their constant struggle with the media and what they wanted to tell the media and what the media would find independently of the police department. And there's a couple of examples of one, the media actually helped out the police department and then there's a couple of examples of when somebody dropped the ball and elected officials had press conferences that gave out details that were that just submarined the whole investigation. And yeah. so it's it was it's it's cool to look back behind that curtain. So that's always an interesting thing for me. Um, I think it was. Do you remember the Amanda Knox documentary? Gosh, who did yeah. it? Was it Netflix? Yeah. Obviously there, there's a big dateline on it, but there's one guy in there and I want to say he wrote for like the New York Post who was like, this is amazing, like sex and murder cells. And he was such a skis and he's that really cliche uh, tabloid, I guess, reporter who's like, oh, I loved every second of this. And it's like, okay, someone's dead. So like maybe cool it a little bit. And he was so insensitive and awful, but it, that's where people get this idea that like reporters like love all the drama and like want this at all costs and like root for all this stuff. And it's like, people are not like that, but I will say with, um, there's a guy from, um, not the New York post, um, the tiger, the national Enquirer who yeah, was like, the, he's great. He's, he's hilarious. Great. He's great. But he's also that same cliche where he's like, Oh, I mean, he's great, but he's meaning he's the worst. Yes. He, okay. Thank you. Yeah. So it's a little different with this because it's not such a tabloidy situation with the night stalker, but like the reporter who found out about the shoe print and was like, I'm going to run this. No, like app, like if you are truly impeding their case, like the only thing they really have on this guy is that he keeps wearing these same shoes to the crime scenes. And so they know the size, they know the, you know, the imprint of the shoe and it's, it's helping them at least connect these cases and it's helping them in their investigation. And that, that information has not been released to the public. Like what shoe this guy is wearing. And this reporter from LA finds out and is like, I'm, I'm going to run this. I'm going to run this as a story. And it's like, no, you are not. And, and obviously the cops eventually talked her out of it, but it's just like, that is the cliche of like report at all costs and, and everything. But it's like, you have to take into consideration that like, that is truly going to impede this investigation. And by impeding it, like more people are going to die. So like, is that a, like, that's like so Machiavellian to be like, well, I don't care if more people die. I'm running this like exclusive story. Like that is bananas to me. Yeah. Well, maybe you should keep watching. I don't, I don't want to ruin it. Does that woman eventually help anyway? Okay. So can't wait to watch episode four. No, I am. I mean, I'll definitely watch episode four slash the part of three that I fell asleep on. Well, it sounds like you missed a big part because there's a whole, the second half of three is him in San Francisco. Okay, so that's why. Okay, so because I had kind of known that he did kill in San Francisco, but I definitely did. Yep. Maybe I sounds maybe like, I only made like, it to half. Sounds like you need to go back and watch three. The whole thing. Well, whatever. I'll I'll look at where I fell asleep. Um, it's one of those things where you know you fall asleep watching a show and you don't know 
Which means um, you should probably go watch the whole thing because I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. You know? So, so I'll watch three and four. But again, as far as recommending it goes, like this is not a, a crime series that you have to go watch. Like I am, I'm not sitting here feeling like you should definitely watch this. If you want a quick four part series, if you're interested in this case at all, I knew like a little bit about it, but not a ton. Um, I obviously don't exactly know how they catch him. So I'm interested in that, but like, just like know that it is very graphic. So this was going to be one of your recommendations. Nope. No, it was not. Okay. Oh, I was going to recommend it, but I've watched, I came across two yesterday that I feel like I actually all three of mine were a Monday. It was a very productive MLK day for me. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Yeah. What? Okay. So then that's a, not really a wreck for me. If I'm being honest, what is your second recommendation? Yeah. So I fired up one night Miami last night. Uh, a lot of Oscar buzz. If you haven't heard of it, check out the preview. It's uh, it's Jim Brown, Cassius Clay. I say Cassius Clay because it's pre-Muhammad Ali days. Uh, Sam Cooke and Malcolm X all in Miami together the night following a title fight by uh, Cassius Clay. It is full disclosure. I fell asleep <laughs> for like 30 minutes right in the middle of it. <laughs> but I will say I'm recommending it because... It is, it's dialogue heavy and it, knowing that going into it, you'll have a certain expectations and you'll be ready for it. But the dialogue is so heavy. Jim Brown is coming off a season in which he had uh, NFL rushing record, 1,863 yards. And I think the, obviously the whole point of the film is to show that in 60 years on paper, uh, it may look like we've made progress as far as race relations are concerned, but really in our own headspace and the headspace of so many, we've hardly moved an inch. Um, that And yeah, it's hard for me to put into words. The dude who plays Sam Cooke is incredible. He, he's in uh, Hamilton. He plays Aaron Burr in Hamilton. And he's, you- there's a lot of Sam Cooke singing. And it's like my favorite part of the movie. Uh, the guy who plays Cassius Clay is awesome. He's young. He's like 25, 26. I don't recognize him from anything. The kid who plays Malcolm X is really good. I say kid. He's, I think he's like 41, 42. And yeah, Jim Brown actor you'll recognize in things. But um, yeah, they take these. It's Regina King, which by the way, Regina King is on an absolute tear the last three, four years. But uh, it's a Regina King movie, and she finds a way to take all four of these larger-than-life icons, and you realize that they're just human beings in their, at the time, mid-20s to to mid-30s, and they're famous because, I mean, they're friends because they're all famous, Uh, but it's a real friendship nonetheless, meaning there's certain things that... um, that they hold against each other, that they're going to talk about each other behind each other's backs a little bit. It's like, you could tell it's a, it's a real relationship. So it's a, it's a cool look at that. Does the whole movie primarily take place in one night? Like it's, it's one of those where, well, the title is one night in Miami, but no. So like the first 25, 30 minutes is like a couple of days leading up to that. Okay. Uh, Regina King directed. 
Regina King directed. Okay. Interesting. Regina King directed. And if you haven't watched, look at me. I can't even remember. Oh, Watchmen. Watchmen. If you haven't watched Watchmen, if you haven't watched Watchmen, you're blowing it because (laughs) it is transformative. Watchmen's so good. It takes a little while, I know, but I don't. I think I've said this before. The way Watchmen handles time traveling is the best execution of time traveling I've ever seen in a movie or TV show. Looper's pretty good too, but we could sit here and poke holes all day long over like the MCU time travel thing. Because there's a million holes. That's not a, an expertise of mine. Not I'm not. Problem. I'm not here to poke holes in the MCU yeah. time travel space. Um, I still have not watched Watchmen. <laughs> I shouldn't. Yeah, you're that, blowing it. You're I know. It. Regina I, King is awesome. I will. Um, I will. I will watch it. I really will. Okay. Anything else? Nope. My. I'm gonna go non-rec. So this is like negative yeah. sandwich, compliment yeah. sandwich. Um. I tried and failed to watch Locked Down on HBO Max. It is Anne Hathaway. And I knew it was quarantine content because the promos for it are basically... So it's a movie that they you know shot in the last 10 months. I don't know. Quarantine's been that long. So I don't know when, when they started filming. Uh, I believe they filmed in London because that's where it's set and it feels like that was actually where it was filmed. I, I probably should have Googled it. I don't know a lot of details about the actual production, um, but the promos, it's basically starts in quarantine and Hathaway breaks up with I, her husband, boyfriend. I, I honestly have forgotten at this point. Um, right as quarantine starts, but they're living together because it's London and it's quarantine and everyone's locked down. Eventually in this movie, there is some kind of a heist. So Anne Hathaway's job is she like does, you know, she deals with diamonds in department stores let's say i don't know and her husband is a delivery driver for a company and so somehow at a point that i did not get to they team up together to steal a diamond oh you punted before you got to that point i made it 30 minutes in and i couldn't physically bear this movie anymore Mm. so again i knew i don't i don't like quarantine content um what did netflix um gosh they did that show i don't remember what it was called um like so oh socially distant socially i don't know i didn't see it netflix did a show where that they produced in quarantine and i think abc family did as well freeform excuse me um so there was definitely shows that came out that were produced in quarantine and it was basically just people on zoom and i think that there are some people who watch those but that is the absolute last thing i want to watch for two reasons one because it's not good content but also like i don't want to relive that also we're still kind of in it like we're still like in that space so it's not like we're all jailbroken running amok outside and like can look back on the days when we used to zoom like we're on zoom right now so it's not something where we're far enough removed from it but i thought that this movie would transform into a real movie that wasn't just zoom calls and people in a house um at some point and 30 minutes in it's zoom calls and people in a house and by people i mean Anne hathaway and her husband so it's 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 like a play almost like a two person play, but it's not good. Like it's the dialogue is awful. I, the the scene where I punted um, and Hathaway is like taking up smoking cigarettes during quarantine and her husband comes in and catches her and is like, what are you doing? And she goes on this monologue about cigarettes and then like obviously society and it, it is unbearable. So maybe if you can make it past those parts, 
the heist part of the movie is fun. Like I was thinking some like Ocean's 8 vibes. It got smashed review-wise. Bad. It did not. Yeah, very bad. Okay, good. Then I'm not alone. I like I said, I actually didn't Google. I would be interested to know how it was produced, you know, how long it took cuz turning a movie around that fast in terms of editing is is impressive. <laughs> I think one thing I read was uh for a movie that is so timely this movie does not age well at all. <laughs> I in, Like it was probably shot, like you said, in June, July. And here we are five, six months later. And it's, it just falls flat. It's, it's bad. It's really bad. And, and like I said, I say that having watched a third of it, maybe a fourth of it, I don't know how long um, it ultimately is. It, I couldn't do it. And if anyone can get to the other side and tell me if the heist part was good, you let me know. But, um, and I was never one of those people who hates, I feel like Anne Hathaway, like what, five years ago, got this bad rap for being really annoying. I've never felt one way or another on her. I obviously love the Princess Diaries. <laughs> so, but now you're leaning in towards annoying. But in this movie, she is so annoying. She is as horrifically annoying in this movie. And those monologues, it's like these soliloquies about nothing. And it wants to be self-important and say something and literally had nothing to say. So... Don't watch it. Um, it's free on HBO Max if you want to fire it up. And like I said, challenge yourself to get to the other side of the quarantine. But I wouldn't recommend it. So that's where I'm at with lockdown on HBO Max. Hard pass. What's your last rec? Also on HBO Max. And this is one I stumbled upon with no kind of expectations whatsoever. I hadn't even, I've never heard of it. Uh, it's called Miracle Workers. Steve Buscemi, Daniel Radcliffe. It is an anthology series. So every season is kind of a new story. Uh, season one is Steve Buscemi is God. Daniel Radcliffe works in the um, answering prayers department. And it is, it's a comedy, but it's like a dump. It's not very smart. Like the good place is really smart, I think. The Good Place is super clever. Yes. It's like that, but it's more jokey. Steve Buscemi plays kind of like an aloof, um, God is aloof. God is aloof and God is very self-centered and he's very much an old Testament God. Like he's, he's down for punishing people. There's a lot of fun cameos in it. Um, Tim Meadows plays a prophet that God finds on like prophet Tinder, like <laughs> looking for the right guy to talk to on earth. Uh, I it's, so this was on TBS originally. You can tell that the showrunners were aiming to get a deal with HBO or Netflix or Showtime because of the star power. I mean, it's cause it's Steve Buscemi and Harry Potter at the head of it. Uh, you can tell it falls short of that. It's not quite something that you would typically see on HBO at 10 o'clock following, you know, Watchmen. But it's, if you're looking for an office replacement, something to just have on the background where you don't need to be sucked into it to understand what's going on, this is the show for you. I had a great time watching it. Each episode is like 23 minutes. You can knock out season one in like three days. Season two is them in Middle Eastern. Middle Eastern. In the Middle East? Not in the Middle East. 
in the Middle Ages. <laughs> I am a noodle brand today. Middle East. They're in the Middle Ages, and it's the same kind of thing, but they're obviously not in heaven. Uh, same cast. Uh, the the female lead is the woman from the very young woman from uh, Blockers. Nope. You know what I'm talking about? The John Cena movie where the teenage girls have a pack to have sex at prom. <sighs> yeah. and she's like, she's pretty good. I didn't realize she's Australian. She's pretty good. It's her and Radcliffe and Buscemi is definitely the third lead. Is it possibly Catherine Langford? That doesn't sound right. She's got okay. some, she's got some name I can't pronounce. So I didn't even want to try. Okay. But yeah, I think again, if you're looking for something, it's not completely mindless, but it's like cute and innocent. And there's some funny, you know, quirky things to it. Uh, miracle workers. I recommend. So mine is, is in that same vein and I'm glad we're just ending on like a positive, non-offensive note. Um, ha- real quick. Cause you mentioned the good place. Double wreck from both of us. That's a great show. The trolley problem um, reminded me of the good place because there is an episode of the good place where they're literally on a trolley and going over the trolley problem. It is a very funny, well-written show. It's on Netflix now, although actually, as I say that, it might have moved to Peacock because it's an NBC property. Real quick, as I get into my wreck, did you watch Laguna Beach? Like, where are you at with the Laguna Beach Hills world? I would, I would dabble in it when i because we were what like juniors when it came out in high school yeah so the so the original cast like um elsie and all them are i believe two years older than us in high school and then chris and cavalry is one year older okay yeah i mean i watched a little bit of it okay St- steven went to san francisco state so did lc yeah as yeah as <laughs> which i think everyone like transferred after a year and ended up at fit um this is a steven coletti show so it's on Hulu. It is called Everyone is Doing Great. It's Stephen Coletti. Did you watch One Tree Hill? Uh, yeah, I okay. watched One Tree Hill. Yeah. So it's it's Stephen Coletti. And then the other guy in it is James Lafferty, who is the guy in One Tree Hill who is not Chad Michael Murray. Do you know who I mean by that? I do know exactly what you okay. mean. Okay. So mean. it's the two of them. I don't know their real life friendship. Oh, sorry. I know how it formed. Stephen Cluddy was on One Tree Hill for like a season. He was like a bartender, I think, or he, I don't know. So James Lafferty is the One Tree Hill guy and Stephen Cluddy became friends in real life, I guess. And a couple years ago decided to make this show about life post fame, like having a big hit when you're in your mid twenties. And then like what happens five years later when you haven't booked anything else, you're not a successful actor. Like you don't know what you're doing. Oh, interesting. So it's obviously like, I don't know that they would say it's fully autobiographical, which I don't know. Wait, is it like a reality show? Is it? Them? No, no. Oh, they're playing. It's scripted. It's like life imitating art. Kind yes. Of or art and imitating they, life. They have the, like the houses are like the exact, like what you think someone who was famous when they were famous bought in the Hills at that time. Like, I don't know that they admit to this being like fully autobiographical, but obviously there's hints of self-awareness imitating life. Yeah. And it's, so it's, I think it's eight episodes. It's super easy watch 30 minutes. It's kind of like these goofy things. There's like, there's the episode where they visit Steven's parents in NorCal and they do shrooms in the Redwood forest or like, you know what I mean? It's, it's that typical, like it's predictable in that way, but it's also, it's just an easy watch. It's enjoyable. It's like funny and also relatable in some ways. Cause again, it's like being in your thirties and being like, 
thought I would have it all figured out. Turns mm-hmm. out really far from it. Mm-hmm. Um, just very low stakes, like very enjoyable. Um, so apparently they started this as a crowdfunded show. Like, I don't know why they couldn't get the financial backing to make it. It's not terrible. And I've seen many worse things like actually get produced. So I don't know why they did crowdfunding, but apparently that's how this started. So like that tells you the quality of content that they crowdfunded the show, if that makes any sense. No. Yeah. No. But and the other thing, there's other there. If you watch it, I believe they only licensed one song for the show. And that different, different like drops of the song and different parts of the song in the show. It's like the same drop of the song over and over. And it's actually really annoying because it's not a great song. I don't know what it is. I was like, maybe this is like one of their friends and they're just trying to get their friends like song out there. It's not a, it's not a good song. And it plays like in every episode and it's not like a score. It's not like theme music. It's a song. Yeah. So that's distracting. That's quite distracting. Incredibly distracting. But I recommend the show in terms of like, go into it knowing what you're going to get and you'll enjoy it. I was on my, like, I was looking at my phone, texting, tweeting, whatever. Like it's, if you miss a couple minutes, the world's not going to end, but you're going to enjoy when you pop in. And it's kind of just funny to watch, I don't know, Stephen Claudian, the One Tree Hill guy, like bop around LA and try to figure out what they're doing. So recommend, but like, don't, don't take it too seriously. That's yeah, where I'm at. Fair. I, I think that's good for everybody right now. Everyone is doing great on Hulu. All right. Um, we're doing great. We finished. How doing do you great. feel? Successful? Successful. I got a shower. <laughs> it's like almost noon on Tuesday and I haven't showered yet. I read an article about how uh, fake commutes will really like help you be productive. And I, I, that was yesterday and I was like, oh, I'm totally trying that. I haven't done it. What is be a f- fake, fake commute? Meaning like if you have to work at nine, get out of bed at 7.30, take a shower, eat breakfast, like read whatever CNN or Fox News articles that you want to read before you like go to work rather than what I do, which is like, if I have to be at work at nine, I'm like rolling out of bed at 8.55. Yeah. So, so it's pretty much treat your work week like normal times, like give okay. yourself an hour between, you know, shower and being at work. You try that this week and you report back to us next week about how your commute is going. Well, what sucks is that, I mean, I start work at like 5 a.m. sometimes. So there's no, there's no way in hell I'm getting out of bed at 3.30. It's just not it's, happening. It's San Francisco. So I feel like you'd have to get out of bed at 2.30 for your commute. Uh, but I live in San Francisco, so I just roll down. We're getting, we're getting into the weeds here. All right. Let's but, get uh, out of yeah, the weeds. We'll try it. Enjoy your commute. Uh, enjoy your <laughs> week, everyone. We will see you back here next week.